The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by Pat Corain. Uh, we did a broader, higher-level look at rookie draft strategy on the TateCast feed. Um, I would recommend going to go listen to that. But we are in some drafts right now. Uh, the FFPC Dynasty Leagues have begun to kick off their drafts. Um, I, I'm in one, and then we are in a bunch that start next week. So this is going to be a little bit deeper um, so, so are you in one that has started already, Pat? I'm not in one that has started already. I have a bunch that start tomorrow, and then I've got um, a bunch that start like early this, like early next week. So, yeah. So I have a bunch. I have a bunch that start tomorrow too. But I'm in this league with a bunch of FFPC hardos, and like the day after the draft, they're like, you know, let's uh, let's get this going. And I and my my partner, uh, I, I, I co-own this team with Crack Rock, actually. Um, we were picking at nine in this rookie draft, which is uh, it is theoretically the worst spot to be picking in the first round because you have Najee, Pitts, Chase, Etienne, Javante, Waddle, Smith, Bateman as that clear tier that leaves eight guys. However, in this draft that uh, that we are in, someone decided to take Trey Sermon at the 107, which meant that we got to slam dunk the uh, the Bateman pick. And what I'm realizing is uh, people really like Trey Sermon, and Trey Sermon is going to go very high um, in these drafts. So right now on Dynasty League Football, they have uh, they have Superflex rookie ADP, and I guess. People do not like him as much in Superflex. He's going, you know, mid second round. But uh, my my thought would be Sermon is going to be the guy who ends up most overdrafted in rookie drafts this year. I think that's probably right. Um, I think that in general, you know, to the point of of having the one hundred nine, like I just traded for the one hundred nine in a one quarterback league. Um, similar, it's the FFWC's format. Pretty similar to the FFPCs, where it's going to be a more running back heavy format and i'm basically i'm hoping that sermon goes ahead and that i get one of those top eight uh that was kind of part of the the thinking to trade in for that pick also the thinking that that eighth guy is probably going to be bateman given the the current market and right. that's what i like the most so yeah i think with some of this when we look at like evaluating trades you know if i'm trading for the 109 i usually put in like i'm trading for my ninth ranked rookie but often you're not trading for your ninth ranked rookie. You're trading for like your sixth or seventh ranked rookie, especially if you get into the second round. I think Leone's been talking about how he thinks these early second round picks are undervalued in Superflex, especially. I agree. I and I think part of the reason is that people don't draft efficiently. You know, there's gonna there's always gonna be kind of one wild card ahead of you. Um, in these leagues, I've you know my brother's in a league. He's saying that people are drafting like Lawrence and stuff. Uh, pretty you know, pretty ahead of ADP. So you're seeing some weird stuff. You also could see someone take like a rogue Rondale Moore or Terrace Marshall 
in that top eight too. So I mean, that's that's more defensible to me than taking Trey Sermon, right? Yeah, it's no, gotta I be. have them ranked ahead of Trey Sermon. Yeah, I don't see a gigantic tier between the top eight and then Marshall and the Moors. I think you know Marshall's a really high upside guy, lands in a pretty good situation, and then the Moors are maybe not quite as high upside due to their size, but they're very, very strong prospects. Um, I almost see the break after them down to Trey Sermon. Uh, and then I've got Diami Brown just behind him. But yeah, I, you know, not that Trey Sermon can't deliver pretty nice value. Um, Leonie was talking about how, you know, J.K. Dobbins, people are super excited about. And you could see a J.K. Dobbins sort of path to to year two, like cell window with Sermon, right? Like, He's sufficient, but, but he doesn't. He doesn't even have. Work. He doesn't even have close to the same opportunity that Dobbins had. So Dobbins' competition as a rookie was 32, 33 year old Mark yeah. Ingram, and then Gus Edwards, who um, I believe to this point in his career has played for four years and has less than one catch per year. Yeah, okay, he has in his career. They actually did target. He has 18 receptions over three seasons in the NFL. So any passing work that is there for running backs to have in Baltimore, it was going to be Dobbins's. He ended up with, I think, 24 receptions. So not as great as we thought. But this is the 49ers uh, backfield depth chart. So they they have still have Mostert there. They still have Jeff Wilson Jr., who has been good every time they've yeah. ever used him. Jeff Wilson Jr. has never gotten playing time and been bad for them. And they give him the Gretsch high-value touches. He gets he gets all the goal line work when he's active, and they use him as a passing, passing down back. They also drafted Elijah Mitchell, who you and I both like. Yeah. And I, I am finding this out literally right now. They also signed Wayne Gallman to a one-year contract. And look – I mean, we could roll our eyes at Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman has stuck around on NFL rosters for five years now and has kind of always just been fine. When he he seems to me like a guy that Shanahan gets irrationally excited about because he's like good at he's like good at blocking and practice or something. Yeah, we'll see. I think Wayne Gallman's maybe a threat to Elijah Mitchell, but I don't. Yeah, it, I, probably one of those guys is making the roster. So between the two, yeah, there will be kind of a an extra guy there for, for Sermon to maybe have to compete with, but. I mean, you're talking about minimum. He's competing with three other guys for touches though. Yeah. But all he needs to do, I can't believe I'm making a Trey Sermon case. All he needs to do is get enough work this year to flash and play efficiently. And the 49ers offense be exciting under Lance. And then Raheem Mostert's a free agent after the year and Jeff Wilson's a free agent after the year. So one of those guys leaves, That's Sermon's fair. the presumed yeah. starter, and everyone's super hyped. And Sermon, I mean, to be to that point, Sermon does have, the, this is true, the greatest amount of draft capital in this backfield. Yep. Raheem Mostert, undrafted free agent. Jeff Wilson Jr., undrafted free agent. Elijah Mitchell, fifth round, sixth round? Sixth round, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then Gallman, the, they, they signed him to the, the deal in free agency. Tevin Coleman is uh, a member of the New York Jets. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it. I just, I'm not excited about Trey Sermon. I, he's just going to be a guy I probably end up with none of in in any format because I, like in in redraft, I would rather Jeff Wilson Jr., I think, because I think Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be the one, you know, a month from now when ADP kind of settles down, you're going to be able to take Jeff Wilson Jr. in like the 15th round. Yeah, and I love that. 
And the way this backfield has worked is it's been kind of like spike weeks from kind of whoever. Mm-hmm. And so to get, you know, you just, I, I feel like no one's going to consolidate the full backfield here. It's always just going to be someone has their week. And so give me the kind of the cheapest guy of that group. Um, and I, I agree with you about Jeff Wilson. I, I really think he can play. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, I agree. I think Trey Sermon's going to be overvalued, but you know, this is like a pretty thin draft class. Once you get down past the Moors and stuff, I think Sermon is definitely Sermon and Diami Brown are, are definitely like two kind of the two last remaining actually um, desirable skill players really left. Okay, so send, sell me on sell me on the the bull case for uh, Diami Brown. Well, Diami Brown, uh, early declare wide receiver, he broke out. Uh, he is now a, a second round pick, um, and he's playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the thing with Brown is that he he basically did one thing in college. He was a deep threat. Uh, he's yeah. 189 pounds and he ran a four, four, six. So immediately you're like, well, I, I don't know if that's translating, man. Um, but he's a third round pick, not a second round pick, but uh, you know, no speed, but plays deep. He kind of like when in my write up, I was like, you know, this is actually pretty similar to what Chris Godwin did when he came in, he had broken out. He was an early declare guy, but we were like, I don't know if your skill set's going to fit. And then, he eventually converts to kind of the slot guy three years later with Brown. Maybe we don't need that kind of long transition as he learns a more full route tree because he's a slow deep threat playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so I think he could have a role right away on the outside and, you know, more, we see more of Samuel out of the slot. And uh, we've also seen Terry McLaurin in this offense. His ADOT shrunk quite a bit. His ADOT uh, was basically now down to like a, a classic wide receiver one type of ADOT, not the 14 plus deep threat ADOT that he'd had previously. So maybe you get Diami in kind of a field stretchery role with Fitzpatrick. He's kind of operating, you know, maybe a little bit like a Preston Williams or something and has a pretty nice rookie season with Fitzpatrick. I, so I think you really have to buy him as being a, a, an uber talented player because this is a pretty crowded pass catching depth chart. You know, obviously you have McLaurin in place. They spend money on Curtis Samuel in free agency. They also spend money on Adam Humphreys in free agency. They also gave Logan Thomas like an absurd amount of targets last year, which I think was partly due to circumstance. But when you see guys like, I mean, if, if Curtis Samuel was on the roster last year, does Logan Thomas finish like tight end six in fantasy? No. no, he doesn't. But you're still talking about a tight end earning an 11% target share, a 12% target share compared to, you know, other teams who are like literally not throwing to the, you know, a Carolina Panthers situation where you're not accounting for Ian Thomas at all. I think earnings is a strong word. I mean, he had a 1.14 yards per outrun. Jimmy Graham he was, was not a 1.19. Yeah. yeah, he, he was... He was bad. Like it, from an efficiency standpoint, from like a sitting down, looking ahead to 2021, designing your offense standpoint. Yeah. You don't want to run it through Logan Thomas. But then you also, <clears throat> I think on that same token, you have to give McKissick his usual whatever. Now his target share, I think is also going to take a gigantic dip. Yeah, that's with an more. Alex Smith thing partly. Yeah. That's an Alex Smith thing for sure. But then, 
are we, and this is a huge question for redraft. What are we doing with Antonio Gibson's, you know, routes run and targets? Because it, it never, it actually didn't make any sense for Antonio Gibson to be like an early down grinder back given no. what he did in college, but that's how they used him. He was like, he, he was like Adrian <laughs> Peterson for them last year. So if, so if you start talking about, okay, well, Humphrey's got to get his targets. Logan Thomas gets a little bit of targets. Curtis Samuel gets his gadget touches. McKissick plays a little bit. And Gibson takes a step. I mean, you, you could be at the end of the year, you could be looking at 44 Daimi Brown targets, basically. Yeah, you're right. It could end up being, you know, disappointing. But he's also pretty cheap. Like, he's not, you're yeah, not having to for pay sure. a big premium. And I think that... You know, I'm not I'm not that afraid of Logan Thomas kind of dominating targets. Curtis Samuel's a new addition who had a nice year last year, but hasn't really been that efficient over his career and was also kind of criminally misused in multiple ways with this same coaching staff. Three years ago, they used him as like uh, around the line of scrimmage guy. Um, and then two years ago, he was running just straight clear out routes, uh, really doing nothing else. And yeah, I hope that they saw what he did last year and realized that he can do a little bit more, but I'm not sure even what his role is going to be, if he's going to be like a major, major contributor. And I'm also not completely sold that he's really that good. He's yet to prove that he's that good. So if Brown is good and the chances of Brown being good, I think are pretty solid. You know, mm -hmm. he, he does have a lot of what we're looking for in terms of the prospect profile, draft position, uh, breaking out early, et cetera then I think he's probably going to be able to earn some targets, uh, some routes from, you know, Curtis Samuel and work his way onto the field, but you no, know, Curtis Samuel has Gabriel, a top. Gabriel Davis is an, another. Kind That's of that would be, that would be the comp. I think Gabriel Davis yeah. is the perfect comp where the depth chart was crowded, but guys get banged up guys miss time, right? Yeah. It's very, guys just very rarely play 16 games. He does well in spot duty. They start to work some things around the offense to get him on the field more. I think Gabriel Davis is going to be the comp for every wide receiver that we wish cast on in the future. <laughs> now it's going to be like, well, Gabriel Davis did it. So, you know, maybe, <laughs> Maybe my guy can do it. You yeah. know that right now, Curtis Samuel has a top 100 ADP in redraft leagues. Yeah, that seems a little frothy to me. I don't know. I I uh, I did raise him up in my dynasty ranks a bit. Um, I got like that was one of the big takeaways that um, or someone was pushing back on Twitter, and I thought it was a good pushback because I do think there's some upside here with Fitzpatrick, but uh, I'm still having a little bit of trouble getting excited compared to the market. I mean, I have I have uh, him in all these dynasty leagues because he was so cheap to acquire when we did all the startups last off season, and he he's no one would give me anything for him. I mean, he's just ripping off fantasy game after fantasy game, and no one would give me anything for him. And now he's going top one hundred in redraft, and I'm still not going to be able to get anything for him. Yeah. and it's so frustrating. Well, that's kind of the thing with dynasty, right? Like you're not getting anything for Curtis Samuel or Mike Williams or any of these guys who people are you like, could, I'm... you could acquire Mike Williams for a third round rookie draft in yep. this class where the third round's not even good. Exactly. Cause everyone knows what Mike Williams is. He's a complimentary piece. Yeah. You know, he's going to give you a few spike weeks in managed leagues. You're not going to know when to start them. Usually you're not feeling great about slotting him in every week, certainly. So I think that's kind of where we're at with Samuel where people can't envision like a real upside case and neither can I. So that's where I have them. Yeah. I have them like, I think a spot ahead of Mike Williams in my ranks. Yeah. Okay. Michael Carter, the backfield in 
New York is very odd where we have a lot of guys who we think are okay. P. Ryan, okay. Ty Johnson, okay. Generally pretty explosive with the touches he does get, actually. Tevin Coleman, I mean, at this point, it seems like he's closer to being out of football than yeah. being a guy we really want to start. Um, and then and then Josh Adams. But, you know, P. Ryan and Ty Johnson and Michael Carter and, you know, whatever, a little bit of Tevin Coleman. My, I guess my sense is that if Carter is good, and he, he comes out right away and, and the coaches like him and he, you know, he doesn't fumble and he understands pass blocking and everything. I, I see a path to him actually being a guy you can flip for profit pretty quickly. And also part of this rests on Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson is good and the offense is better than expected and they're not just, you know, they're not, they're not the, the Darnold Gase jets where it's just like laughable how, you know, they're 14 point underdogs every single week. Um, but I also don't know how much they would plan on using Michael Carter in a passing down role, given that both P. Ryan and Ty Johnson primarily played on passing downs last year. Yeah, but Ty Johnson's not a good pass catcher. And that's something that I learned the hard way by spending half my fab on him when he opened up in Detroit. Oh, yeah. Uh, a few Been years there. Ago. He's, not a, he's not a pass catcher. He's quick. He's He's small, but he's not a pass catcher. So I yeah. think that that like if that's my competition for pass catching duties i'm in on michael carter um the other thing is that you know like i, I saw anthony miko was was tweeting about like what are we doing this guy's a space back he's basically james white you know he's chris thompson etc yeah i think he probably is but he also reminds me of geo bernard and geo bernard came out and had you know 14 points per game as a rookie 14.5 yeah. the following year um and that was after they drafted jeremy hill so he came in and immediately contributed in a really helpful way, like a huge, huge win at his price. Um, you know, that, that would be a huge win for Michael Carter at his price. Um, if he, if he had that Gio Bernard outcome. And I, I think it's like possible because they just don't have anyone as you, as you laid out. Uh, and I'm starting to be like, I, I, I think I'm going to draft a lot of jets this year. I wish I liked the receivers more. Because I'm oh, not really I I was actually him, but. I I did a a drafters best ball championship draft last night and their ADP does not refresh every day the way that underdogs does and Mims is sitting there in like the thirteenth fourteenth round. Oh, I'm in. And yeah, like Mims is the one that I think I'm ready to gobble up. Yeah, I, I it, Mims was not one of my favorite prospects, but I mean, come on, like. I'm in on Mims. I, I think Elijah Moore, assuming he's super cheap, um, I think he's almost free and underdog, right? I yeah. I uh, I don't mind that. I I, mean, I, think- I I just did see someone who would know. I don't remember who it was. Someone who follows the Jets pretty closely say that he actually doesn't think Crowder's going to get moved, okay. and that and that okay. they're. And I I have no I you know I I'm literally sourcing this with like not remembering who said it, but I I just <laughs> I everything I had seen for the last two weeks was Crowder's not going to be on the team, and then just seeing someone say Crowder is going to be on the team, uh that that really crowds things up because Crowder is the perfect type of player to earn way more targets than fantasy football players think he should earn agreed yeah if crowder's there you know but if crowder's going super cheap then maybe you take some stabs on him that's the, that's the part with drafting the jets that sucks is that i don't actually feel great about any of these guys including Corey davis like i no one i'm really you're, you're just about. hoping for the post gaze bounce and that yeah, zach the, wilson is good i want to be in on the post gaze bounce because the market's saying it's not gonna happen i think it is gonna happen 
I think Gase really sucks. And I think, you know, I don't think Shanahan is like the master of this offense. I mean, it's literally his dad's like, he didn't come up with it. You know, they're going to, uh, they're going to be able to implement this offense, I think fairly successfully. And Zach Wilson, he's mobile. Like he can do all of the like bootleg rollout stuff they're going to want to do with him. And he's got a huge arm. Like there's going to be some fantasy goodness in this offense. It's not maybe going to be consistent enough. I'm sure Wilson's going to do some dumb stuff. I'm sure he's going to handle pressure really badly. Hopefully he doesn't end up being Blaine Gabbert, but you know, it could be, it could definitely be frustrating, but I think at the same time, people are kind of assuming that that Wilson's a bust and you don't want to invest in the Jets. You know who's getting an absurd amount of helium, both in rookie drafts and even in redraft, is Amon Ross St. Brown. People people like think he is going to lead the Lions in receiving, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, draft Hunter Renfro. Like, what are we doing? He's a he's a fourth-round rookie, and I I don't think there's that much evidence that he's good. Like, he, he did declare early. He did break out. I, I so liked nice. I liked him as a prospect, but oh, since since May first, uh, on on DLF, they have Amon Ross St. Brown in um, three hundred and sixty one drafts competed across the site. They have him going ahead on average of Brown, of Rogers, of Nico Collins, of Dwayne Eskridge. Like I, it just just feels really because their their wide receiver depth chart is bad. But I mean, Tyra Williams and Brashad Perryman, if they're healthy, will will do the same sorts of boring veteran route running. Like, I, I don't see St. Brown being like significantly better than those guys right off the jump. I don't either. And I think like Quintus Cephas could get some run out of the slot too. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that he's going to have like this full time slot role out of the gate. I mean, he was a day three pick. Like, I liked him okay as a prospect but that draft position really matters and he didn't get it. And yeah. the opportunity does not go ahead of the draft position in the priority list here. Like the draft position is what we care about because it gives us the film grade from the actual team that, you know, is invested in him. Right. He's not necessarily uh, at the talent level, probably of, you know, some of these guys drafted ahead of him, at least from the film evaluators perspective. And that's, you know, I, I don't, I don't hate it if you're going to take him ahead of like Nico Collins and Dwayne Eskridge. Like both those guys have major like red flags on their profile too. Yeah, Eskridge not ending up on any of my teams. That's for yeah. sure. But I will say that from an upside perspective, I think Eskridge and Collins are the better play because, you know, well, Collins, it's easy to see. He's a big wide receiver. He could he just earn so many targets year one. Yeah. Yeah. He's big and athletic and there's targets available. Like it, it's pretty easy to see it. And then Eskridge, he's an awesome kick returner. So he's going to be active on game days. Yeah. And there's a opening for a wide receiver three spot with Russell Wilson. If he's active, that could be his. So I think Eskridge is uh, probably going to be a bit underdrafted, even though my initial reaction to the pick was, was true disgust, <laughs> but you know, the draft position there, like, I think the draft position there makes a big difference. I'd rather bet on his second round draft position than Amon Ra's fourth round draft position, but kind of more opportunity because is there really even more opportunity with the Lions? Like, yeah, he's probably going to be their primary slot receiver over the course of the season, but we're not dying to invest in this Jared Goff offense. Like, right. 
it's it's not actually that exciting. Also, Jared Goff's not going to be there for that long. So even if he ends up having a connection with Jared Goff, it's, it's you know, it's going to be fleeting. And I'm not really kidding about the Hunter Renfro stuff. Like Hunter Renfro was awesome as a rookie in yards per route run. Yeah. Like, well, he, he had a he had a 70 yard touchdown. Right. Okay. Which well, which accounted for I literally think that like he only had like what like 60 targets. Yeah, he, that's true. He was it was a pretty small sample, but um my my point is that like you get a you get a good outcome from one of these sort of low ceiling slot types and everyone tells you to to get lost if you shop them around like yeah you're, you're not getting a first round startup pick at any point i don't think for amon ross st brown unless this offense like shocks us what uh what are you doing with the non-starting quarterbacks in Superflex. So Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, Davis Mills. Uh like are are you are you interested in either of those guys in like the third round? Like like is anyone is any are you are you like Davis Mills is a little interesting to me just because I think you're gonna get some starts with him right away. Like I would imagine yeah. he probably gets four or five starts. Um you know I don't know if he's any good. But I, I feel like he's the type of guy you could actually reasonably flip for profit, especially if, if your team kind of sucks and he's starting in like week six and you just like insta flip him for, I, I don't whatever you want, second round rookie pick, some some cheap running, like whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was talking through my ranks with Leone and, and I raised Davis Mills up quite a bit. Um, after result of that conversation, then in doing my overall ranks for Superflex, I realized I needed to have him up even higher. For the, you know, what you're saying, like he's going to make starts. So if you're a contending team that, you know, you're like, well, what am I going to do with this late second round pick? There's no one really here and you need a little bit of quarterback help. You know, that seems fine because there is some upside of not, not that he's going to take over. Well, I mean, it's not like out of the question entirely that he, he just starts starter. week one. Yeah. And it's like, how many times does Tyrod Taylor need to be benched for a rookie? Like this, this will be what the fourth time I I think. Exactly. And there's like the scuttlebutt is that Watson's not going to play a snap this season. Yeah. I'm, I'm not projecting him to play at all. I'd be surprised if he did. Okay. So then you could be looking at Davis Mills. Like imagine that, um, I don't know, let's say not that we want this to happen, but let's say that like Justin Fields, gets hurt for the entire season yeah. in the preseason. So like what's Andy Dalton worth then? Like, I think you're giving second, like yeah, a you late give up second, a second for Andy Dalton. Yeah. yeah. So Davis Mills is that is Andy Dalton, but young and potentially gets traded and, you know, competes for a starting job somewhere else next year. Like you might end up getting like 20 starts out of this guy, you know? So in this week of a draft class, um, I have him 23rd in my super flex tight end premium ranks. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm about as in as I can stomach. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually am kind of interested in, in drafting him because it just get, if you're sitting there on the clock at like the three Oh two in a super flex draft, I mean, you and I both kind of like Ramondre Stevenson, but mm-hmm. Tylen Wallace, Tylen Wallace is super buried. Um, I, I really liked him as a prospect and I don't think, for I I don't have the same volume concerns in Baltimore that all these other people have because I think the better they get throwing the ball, the more they'll want to throw it. Exactly. But Wallace is just mega buried. 
Like, let's say, let's say they get to 500 pass attempts this year. You got to account for Mark Andrews, Dobbins, Marquise Brown, Bateman, uh, and, and, and Dobbins, like it's where, where do you even find 40 targets for Talon Wallace? Like it, it's, he just, I like him, but he is so buried. He's also coming off a torn ACL, which, you know, he, he toured the ACL in 2019, then returned, had a really strong senior season, but then he goes in the fourth round. So, you know, that makes you pretty concerned about, you know, the film following the, the injury, um, and again, like I'm going to be consistent here. I like Tylen Wallace a lot as a prospect pre-draft, but he went fourth round. So I have him behind Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, I even have him behind Seth Williams, just one spot because, you know, day, day three hasn't necessarily mattered too much, which round you go. And, right. uh, and I loved Seth Williams as a prospect, but I have Seth Williams, like pretty buried too. Um, I have both Wallace and Williams behind Kyle Trask in Superflex, Like, it's it's tough to bet on these day three guys, like especially if they're buried, which both Williams and Wallace are. I agree with you. And I think, you know, with the Ravens and the whole Bateman thing, um, you know, they're talking, of course, immediately there's quotes coming out from Roman talking about like, hey, you know, we do pass more than we run and we need to get better at passing. And like this guy can play out of slot, can play outside. He's going to be a big part of like our plan going forward. He's going to help take pressure off of Marquise Brown, et cetera, et cetera. Bateman, 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 Bateman. There's no, I mean, Tylen Wallace isn't factoring into those types of plans. Like they're not designing their offense around. Yeah, what like, I mean, he might just round. get like, a he might just get a redshirt year. They yeah. they might just he might just not even play. Like they might. I I think is Willie Sneed still on the roster? I I know Boykin I is. I don't think he is. I think I think Sneed is gone, but I know Boykin is still there. So they'll just have Boykin play the. I mean rest in peace, Miles Boykin. I I thought he was going to be good. Didn't end up happening. Super athletic. Yeah, he could super have been good. it's like kind of a DJ Shark type bet. Yeah. Uh yeah, and I mean they still have Devin Duvernay who they get the the jet sweep um touches for. Okay. Josh Palmer. Explain Josh Palmer to me like I'm 5. Like what I and I I saw the tweets immediately when he got drafted. Like it it seems like he must be really good on film cuz a bunch of guys who do primary film-based analysis are really hyped on Josh Palmer. Um, Josh Palmer basically did not play in college to, to the best of my knowledge. He <laughs> was at Tennessee for four seasons, yeah. never topped 500 receiving yards, had seven touchdowns his entire college football career. Um, these are, these are some of the names of guys who, who are, were uh, out producing him uh, while he was there. Juwan Jennings, who is a practice squad wide receiver, um, and Marquez Callaway, who is also a practice squad wide receiver, both uh, for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and then in, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't understand this. So the case for Josh Palmer is, uh, you know, third round pick. So gets, gets decent draft capital and PFF was really high on him as a guy that they felt like was pigeonholed into a clear out deep threat role in college and had terrible quarterback play. And so you're kind of hoping for like the Terry McLaurin thing where there's like literally nothing on this guy's profile that indicates he'll be good at the NFL level. But there's people saying, yeah, but he was used like super wrong and in a super specific way. And 
that kind of like, I was like, I'll try to keep an open mind with this guy. But then he goes to the Chargers and they have a guy in Jalen Guyton. Who already does that. Who already does that, but sucks at it. So if I get Josh Palmer, I mean, Jalen Guyton is truly running empty routes. Like, you know, he's, <laughs> like, like he's just out. Cardio. He's just out there doing cardio. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just, just out, out there. He's just cardio. out there getting a good sweat in with the boys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, man. So if we have Josh Palmer, if he can play at all, he can take that Jalen Guyton role. And that's a pretty exciting role that, you know, I want well, guys tied to Herbert. Remember, they also already have another guy who interchanged that role with Jalen Guyton, though, Tyron Johnson, who was a little bit more efficient then than Guyton was. Yeah, although wasn't Johnson getting on the field more when Mike Williams was banged up? Yeah, um, but and and I, I wanted to think in my head, I was like, OK, well, maybe this just means that they use uh, the tight end less. Like maybe they're wanting to just really let Herbert run like full air raid, you know, college stuff like right. you have you, you have Eckler out there for wide receivers, but they signed Jared Cook. They signed Jared Cook to the decent sized free agent contract and they still have XFL hero Donald Parham. So I, I, I don't buy that. I think I think it's going to be Keenan. Mike Williams and some empty calorie wide receiver. Now, maybe the upside is Josh Palmer is actually really good. And he's the one who takes over for Keenan Allen when Keenan Allen sucks. I think that's too, I'm out on that. I I don't think there's really any chance of that. I think you're, you're betting on him to be like maybe the new Mike Williams following Mike Williams departure where, and it's like, he comes in with, he comes in as the new Jalen Guyton and then he comes in and he's the new Mike Williams but sure yeah i'm not yeah i don't think palmer's very good i just think maybe he's i just think there's a small chance that he's good and the role that he is going to fill at the nfl level is currently being filled by a guy who is maybe the most replaceable full-time player in the league yeah so and he got draft position and he's you know and it's justin herbert like give me give me some justin herbert targets okay how how do we reconcile Tutu Atwell going in the second round of the NFL draft and the fourth round of, of rookie drafts? My my concern with him is actually very Same similar. Same way we did it with Van Jefferson. Well, Van Jefferson was useless. I mean, Van Jefferson doesn't have any skills. Um, yeah, that's true. Tutu at least has one skill, which is that he is he is disgustingly fast. Um, so he's got he's got that going for him. And my Rich Rebar texted this to me the other day that the Rams literally just drafted him to run jet motions. Like that was like his one skill and that's all he's going to do. Um, but it just, it does feel very bizarre that in these drafts, we're going to have a bunch of second round rookie wide receivers just go super late. You know, Eskridge is going to go really late Atwell is going to go really late. Um, you know, and, and guys like Amon Ross, St. Brown, who are like fourth round, fifth round picks are going to go, ahead of them like I, I think if I was on the clock at the 401 and Cornell Powell and Tutu Atwell were both there I, I think I would take Powell oh my god I mean I can't really blame you I've never had to actually pull the trigger on Tutu Atwell I've only had to rank him yeah and it's like at a certain point I'm like I can't not rank this he's a second round pick who has every crazy production yeah. Yeah. Everything production wise that I'm looking for, like everything. He looks awesome. Looks awesome. But he's 149 pounds, you know, at his medical recheck. Like 
So does that mean he he was 155 and then like couldn't keep the weight on? Like it's absurd that he was yeah. 149 pounds. At his and I don't I don't know if playing professional football is going to help him lose weight. Like I feel I feel like uh, yeah. you know practicing and running around all day. I feel like he's going to be like 140 in no time. He's be 133 by, <laughs> by week 16. <laughs> Oh, and it's, it does, it just feels like how, I just don't know how you play in the NFL at that size, like kicking, kick returns and punt returns, whatever, jet motions, whatever. But like, I, there, I don't, I don't think there's a way for even a 150 pound player to earn like a hundred touches in a season without getting hurt. Yeah. I think you have to be in kind of a best ball dynasty league to really consider him because you're never going to start him. You're never going to start him. How many and guys would have to be out for the Rams? Like, like, like Woods, Cup, are both out. I I don't know. Like, still, then probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess if Woods and Cup are both out, he's playing. So, you know, and it, maybe it's one of those things where is he even though? There, like, who's okay, that little guy for Atlanta. It was like a running back. He was pretty small. <laughs> Maybe. No, no. The guy you're talking about is on the 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 two the two previous smallest guys in the NFL were on the Rams roster. Uh, Jojo Natson and Nasimba Webster. Uh, they also I just they signed Deshaun Jackson. Um, right. I, I had forgotten that. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that uh, I think that if Cup, Jefferson, and Woods were all out, you would still see guys like like Tristan Jackson play and they would just play a bunch of, they play more two tight end stuff too. My guy, my guy, Jacob Harris got drafted by the Los Angeles Rams, Pat. Uh, Oh yeah. Oh, when did he get drafted? I didn't even see that. Uh, Jacob Harris. I think he was a fifth round pick. Jacob Harris was drafted 141st overall. So fifth round. Congratulations. Congratulations. Dude, that's big. That like a, big. a a project type guy like that not being an undrafted free agent is pretty big. That is nice. Now yeah. this is the same team that just took two twelve well in the second round. So <laughs> you know, temporary. Well, they they're not going to throw him the ball, so they got to they got to draft more guys who can actually catch. It's funny. Jacob Harris is literally the exact opposite of that. Well, he didn't produce at all, but he's like a gigantic Hulk, uh, flash size right. speed specimen. Yeah, which guy do you like more again? <laughs> i would i would i would take jacob Harris over two two well in dynasty i think yeah that doesn't surprise me i mean i like like i said in best ball maybe you can you can say all right having two two well on my roster could could help me a couple weeks he, you're never he trading could, him four, fourth round guy who you know is a lock to make the team and he will probably give you one week where you use his score i bet in best ball you're talking about harris no, Atwell. Oh, Atwell. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Fourth yeah, round guy, so, fourth round rookie pick guy. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So I yeah. so like for example, these these leagues you and I play in where we have 30 roster spots, we start 11 guys and the scoring is best ball. You know, if you're comparing Tutu Atwell to I mean, you know, just any any random uh, you know, Kylan Hill, right? Mm-hmm. Atwell so much more likely. Now, I don't think Atwell really will appreciate and value that much. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're I don't think you're ever gonna trade him unless he grows like six inches and gains 40 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, if if that happens, you really have something on your you hands. You don't want to rule things out. Yeah. But 
you know, look, a, a 40 yard jet sweep touchdown with like two other catches on the day, like 14 points, like that probably makes your lineup on, on any random week. And he can probably do that. I don't know, once or twice in a season. Yeah. Friedman was kind of trashing him in his write up and was, but he mentioned Taylor, Taylor Gabriel. Well, you know, Taylor Gabriel had some spike weeks in his career, you know? So I think from like, this is gross, but it's going to help me over time and I have the roster spot and it's best ball and I don't have to predict when it's going to happen kind of perspective, then there's some value in Tutu Atwell and I would take him, I would take him over, you know, kind of the Powell's and the the real dregs because that draft position. I mean, dude, Powell, Powell has, I I really mean this. Powell has the best opportunity of any of the non-premium wide receivers because Hardman just might not be good. I, I'm not going to say he's not good for sure, but he might just be like, even with everything they have going on, just unplayable. We know Demarcus Robinson is not good. Demarcus Robinson plays in the best offense in the NFL, and he just he his yards per route run, catch rate, fantasy points per target, like every it's all bad. Um, every every metric you can use to uh, judge efficiency, Demarcus Robinson is is poor in, and then it's it's Byron Pringle who is yep. a who is 28 um same same age He's as 28 yeah yeah byron, byron pringle byron pringle age yeah he's he's 27 he'll be 20 he'll turn 28 during the year we were at k-state together at the same time byron pringle and i oh, wow. and i'm old now um <laughs> so the so that is their that is their wide receiver depth chart and it's not even like they have good like secondary tight ends they have nick kaiser blake bell and this guy they drafted um noah gray they have joe fortson who's like a meme wide receiver he's like 6'6 220 pounds he's just like a gigantic human being was on the practice squad all of last year they have their their whole depth chart is just guys who were bad at other teams uh antonio well, callaway is is on is on here tajay sharp is is a restricted uh restricted free agent for tajay the chiefs sharp. i think tajay sharp with, probably with, makes with the roster chart, yeah he makes the roster <laughs> so just if if powell can play at all which he never played until his fifth year at clemson so it's not a great indicator but if he can play at all there is an opportunity here for him because this this depth chart i mean they're kansas city's not going to throw the ball less there's a massive, massive opportunity. I mean, there's a massive opportunity for Pringle, for Fortson, for Powell, for Marcus Kemp, for Dalton Shane, for Garrick Dieter. I mean, literally any of these guys. If any of these guys could earn 80 targets over the course of a season and not divvy them all up, like if one of these guys clearly wins the third wide receiver job, there's volume to be had. The next time I list the Chiefs wide receivers, I'm just going to make up a name and throw make it in there the and see if up. anyone stops me. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> hilarious. I'm looking at their depth chart on – our lads and and honestly a bunch of these guys on the roster were just guys who washed out at kansas state like they have like mm-hmm. three guys who wa- who washed out at kansas state <laughs> <laughs> there's some kansas state area scout that's just got a tough pull like literally <laughs> like literally like how like uh like how Thielen ended up on right the vikings because of like local area workouts like that's what's happening right. with the chiefs because they have no money they don't have any money to spend on wide receivers so they got this is what they have to do well you know you could still draft a better fifth round pick than cornell powell like i don't i don't really seth williams baby 
Yeah, Seth Williams was there, man. There were there were some guys like, oh, dude. Could you imagine if Seth Williams had been on the Chiefs? Uh, second sense. second round second round rookie second pick. Round. Truly, truly. Um, like literally though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have trouble seeing with Pal. Like you know, the, the Tajay Sharp thing is like kind of a bit, but also. No, Powell's that's not that's not a bit. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Like Sharp probably makes the roster, and Pal's a practice squad guy. So again, like it's got to be best ball. I I cannot physically click Tutu Atwell's name and put him in my starting lineup. I can't do it. Right. <laughs> but but in that, in that uh, setting, I think, you know, he does have some value. How do you feel knowing that Joe Fortson is going to wear the number one for the Chiefs? Does that make you – Does <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like that's got to make him a little bit more appealing, honestly. Like, wearing number one is boss shit. I have to say – I think they should change the rule back. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Joe Fortson turned turned Karen into a boomer. Yeah, I'm against it, man. Wide receivers should wear 80s. It's the way it's always been. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting running back name down here, Chris Evans, because the Bengals running back the Jep chart now without uh, without Giovanni Bernard behind Joe Mixon. I mean, literally nothing but cast-offs, right? Samaj P. Ryan on, like, his 19th NFL team. They mm-hmm. they tried to play Travion Williams last year, but P. Ryan was better than him. So, that like, that's a little bit problematic when a, a total career journeyman is better than you. Uh, they also signed 170-pound Puka Williams and this fellow by the name of Jocks Patrick, who I know nothing about. And I don't really know that much about Chris Evans either, but this is a depth chart that is primed to have – like week 14 of the of uh, NFL DFS we're starting a in price Chris Evans because Mixon tweaked his ankle yeah I, I I could see it I'm having trouble I mean there's not really much there with Chris Evans I don't think you know Puka Williams I keep he was he really good he was me. really really good in college but he's 170 pounds it's 170 yeah so yeah it's not gonna happen but um, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe he earns, maybe he earns some kind of receiving role. It's just 170 pounds. It's just not very big. Yeah. The other thing is I, I don't know that he's even like a, a receiving specialist. He's just really small. So, I mean, he just, he was, he played for such a bad college team that they just gave him the ball in any way right. possible. Right. Yeah. It's a little bit like, um, like Philip Lindsay or something. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I, I honestly I've been pretty excited about Joe Mixon in a way that I haven't ever been. Same. He's he's gonna get so much work. Yeah. Like there's really, I mean, we're like struggling to even come up with a name of, of someone that's gonna challenge him for work. And he's always been really expensive. There's always been kind of this expectation that he's gonna become, you know, a Dalvin Cook type of guy. He's never gotten there. But a lot of that's been usage. I mean, I think he's a good player. So I think I'm going to be pretty in on him in all formats. And he's someone that was a big riser in my dynasty ranks. Uh, like I, I play running back a bit more year to year than I think some others yeah. do in dynasty or some other ranks reflect in dynasty. And he's, he's going to be under contract next year. He's in the, he's in his prime and this offense looks like it could take a huge step forward. Like I think the drafting of Jamar Chase was awesome for Joe Mixon because we just, we want for sure, you know, and this could be an explosive offense. He could basically be like 
a talented version of Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, no, you're you are you are correct. You're I just mean, gonna let let me say that. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm with you on that. Zeke was never good. Zeke was okay. never good. Oh, wait, wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. I, I never, I, I threw nev- out a little hot take there, and you, you just took it in stride. Wrong, wrong podcast to throw yeah, out a hot right. take because I'm you're just, because right. I'm just gonna roll with it. <laughs> All right, I have, I have one last, I have one last guy to, uh, to throw out there. The Dallas Cowboys selected a wide receiver in the fifth round. Uh, not really notable except for the fact that they have outs on both Cooper and Gallup's contracts relatively soon, and they've been using guys like uh, Noah Brown. Who's the mm. other guy? Cedric Wilson. Uh, Cedric Wilson, um, who are like fine, but they they're not paying those guys big money either, and could could leave them whenever. And uh, Simi Fahoko had a 30 percent dominator rating in 2019, 38 percent dominator rating in 2020. Uh, it's just that he played for Stanford, so they throw the ball like six times a game. So his raw numbers um, look pretty bad. Really good, like all all athletic stuff looks really good i i am actually kind of intrigued um by this guy obviously the the draft capital is not great but this is like nut landing spot and and a decent um profile yeah so i think with him it's kind of like what are we actually finding what is the actual signal with this early declare stuff because that those two seasons that were breakout seasons were his fourth and fifth year since high school but, oh, oh, did yeah. he go to community college? No, he did an a LDS mission. mission. Yeah. Yep. To, yeah. But he's always in Korea. Right. And he's like, he's not exactly like absorbing the playbook and like studying up. Like, it yeah, that's like, dude, the mission stuff. This keeps coming up. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So how do you account for that? Like, does it make him because obviously he, he shows up, you know, and now he's a freshman in his third year uh, since high school he is still more physically developed than a normal freshman. So in terms of the age component, in terms of the physical development component, he does definitely have an advantage that year. And then the two following years over the guys at his same grade, but he also wasn't one of these guys who couldn't get on the field while he's at the program, his first two seasons. So, and it would also make sense that, you know, he wouldn't necessarily be able to attract the attention of NFL coaches right away. Um, you know, in his freshman season, which would like, in order for him to be an early declare in our minds, he would need to have done his mission, come back, crush so hard that he actually declares for the draft after one single college football season, which is just extremely unlikely. So yeah, it's just, I mean, he, it's impossible. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to stay open-minded with him with the idea that he could, he could surprise given, you know, a production profile that's not, Really do you that know interesting but... do you know who is number two comp on the sim scores on rotoviz is oh god uh no <laughs> it's it's disgusting dude it's darren it's darren waller <laughs> who didn't who didn't break out in the nfl until he was 28 well there's some extenuating circumstances there yeah but yeah, i mean he's got he's positions. got but then everyone else here is a bust and like and like famous famous busts uh tommy streeter Hakeem Butler, Equinemius St. Brown, Jordan Lasley, Dante Moncrief, Chris Harper, Chris Harper, heartbreaker. Is, is Krishan Hogan on there? Uh, no, was, Krishan Hogan is not on here. He's kind of like my all-star, holy shit, this guy's athletic, what, what if guy, but doesn't. The Do- Doran Dickerson will always be that guy for me. Yeah. Doran Dickerson. Um, 
Yeah, I I think I actually think that Fakoko is like I'll probably I I will probably have him in Fahoko. Fahoko. Yeah. I will I will probably have him in the auction league and the startup league that we're in because I have all these extra late round picks and he seems like a good dart throw. I think he's a fine dart throw. He's big. He did produce in college, even though it was too late. But you know, we talked about the reasons why that might be. Um, and he's tied to Dak Prescott. And and that whole thing with Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson was confounding. Like, why are these guys on the field? But they were. They seem to want to rotate in those guys, and they're not. It doesn't seem like going to give C.D. Lamb and and Michael Gallup like the full-time roles that you would expect given kind of the talent differential between them and the guys behind them. So, you know, he could get, he could kind of flash a little bit and then one of those guys gets hurt or something. And he's got a three week stretch where, I mean, this draft class is really weak. It's so, it's so weak. Yeah, it is. I like it at the top more than everyone else, but it's weak after that. After like pick like 15, it just, it just gets so thin. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, after that, like take take, take whoever, whoever you want. You know, like yeah. don't don't listen to people like us. Like if there's a guy you like, if you like Josh Palmer, take him. Take him. Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. Who's your who is your favorite fourth round guy? Your favorite dude to throw darts on? Mine, mine. I think is. I mean, I think it's going to be Cornell Powell probably. So I'm kind of interested in this Mike Strachan guy. Okay, you know him at all. I know I literally couldn't tell you if he's a running back or a wide receiver, just talking to you. I'm going to guess he's a wide receiver and I don't know which school he went to. Well, not knowing what school he went to is very justifiable because he went to a D2 Charleston. Okay. I'm already interested. I'm getting some Janice vibes here. Yeah. Yeah. He is get ready. Davis. He is a wide receiver. He is six, five, 226 pounds. He is a big wide receiver. He I'm in. ran a four five four forty. He ran a six nine six three cone at two hundred and twenty six pounds six five. That's that's pretty ridiculous agility. So he goes to the Colts in the seventh round, uh, and he was productive at D two, which you know, God help us if he wasn't. But yeah, we're talking about we're talking about a dude who had like 800 yards at d2 charleston and we're like i don't know man he's kind of interesting he's kind of interesting yeah he uh he broke out as a junior uh didn't declare until after his senior season but his market share of receiving yards is 35 percent um he had a career dominated rating of 46 percent again d2 but the Colts, you know, I don't think this is the most imposing depth chart in the world. Like, no, it's, round it's, pick it's could make the roster here. I mean, yeah. The, so my problem with uh, the Colts depth wide receiver situation is they have a bunch of guys um, like this on their roster. Um, so they have Ashton Doolin, who is basically this guy, but from two years ago, and he mm-hmm. is he is hung around on the roster. Um, they have DeMichael Harris, who is, does not play the same position, but would be using snaps that could, because Pittman is locked into his snaps, um, and Paris Campbell is going to be locked into his snaps. So I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think, I don't think this is a bad dart throw, but I just remember being all in on Ashton Doolin, and he, he literally has not played. 
Yeah, I would say avoid going all in on any seventh round pick. So, you know, but this is a, I think he's a kind of an interesting dart throw just based on the size and the opportunity could be there. And, you know, we have seen some guys come from really small schools and produce if they've been hyper productive. And he was, he was hyper productive. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'd rather, I, I'd rather bet on one of these guys like that at least showed the production. Like yeah. Fahoko, Fahoko showed the production, but he, he was a little he too was old. 23. Or, yeah. Strachan, yeah. Strachan did it, but he's at D2. So then you're like, well, does that mean anything? And in most cases, it doesn't. But I just, it's so hard for me to bet on these guys that like they have the chance and they never did anything. And now I'm just betting on like some, some pro day measurables, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. All right, everyone follow Pat on Twitter, listen to establish the edge, read all his stuff on ETR. And uh, I imagine we'll be back as we get our rookie drafts kicked off next week.